Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Amen. We're going to get right into the Word. Luke chapter 5 and verse 29. Uh, The message today is a little bit of an admonition. I only... uh, How do I say this? I love you too much to always be nice. If you're a first-time visitor, I'll be nice next week. (laughs) But this Sunday, we have a pastoral word. I believe you're here for a reason. It's for this house. And uh, real simple. And I think I'm going to get out of your way early, but when I say that, it usually doesn't happen. But I'm going to try my my very best. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get started. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm going to talk. You're going to teach. Father, have your way. Folk didn't come to hear from me, Lord. They came to hear from you. So use these clay lips and bring your name glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 5 and verse 29. Then Levi. A little background here I think is important. His name being Levi indicated that he was from the tribe of Levi, which means that he was from the priestly tribe of Israel. And the name of this person is significant because in a moment we're about to find out that he was a tax collector. And a tax collector was one of the most hated figures in all of Israel. You know, uh, People felt about a Levite the way Clevelanders felt about LeBron James when he moved to Miami. (laughs) They felt betrayed. And whenever they saw them, they would use expletives and release contempt and call curses down, at least behind their back. The scripture says, then Levi. What's amazing about Jesus is he sees the best of us in the worst of us. He turned this self-serving collaborator with Rome into one of his 12 apostles. And not only that, he wrote Matthew, the the book of Matthew, uh, which is one of our Gospels. And actually, Jesus changed his name to gift. Matthew means gift from God. And it was amazing that, you know, he was this man that was, again, a collaborator with Rome, but God turned him into a gift. God just has a way of doing things like that. It says, then Levi gave him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house. This reception here was not only a display of uh, Levi's love for the Lord, it also uh, clues us in into his wealth and his influence. It was not just a feast, it was a great feast, meaning he had resources to feed a multitude of people. In a moment, we're going to take a look at the list of those who attended this particular Uh, banquet, if you will. And they were pretty much the outcasts of Israel. He had uh, uh, friends from the netherworld, some say the underworld, the the criminal world. And it was really interesting, the group of people that Matthew had collected in his home. It goes on and says, there was a great number of tax collectors. Now, the tax collecting industry was known for its uh, corruption. Extortion was so pervasive that 
when tax collectors tried to turn uh, to join John the Baptist's uh, ministry movement or, or church, if you will, he had to, to address them specifically, and it's recorded in, in the Bible. Let's take a look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 3 and verse 12. John says this, Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Do we quit our jobs? We, we recognize that we're doing things that are immoral and, and often illegal. But watch John's response. He said to them, no, no, don't quit your job. Just collect no more than what is appointed for you. Just do what you're supposed to do and stop stealing and bullying people. Uh, you know, at this time, a tax collector could actually walk up to you on the street while you were carrying a load. Maybe you were bringing it to, to, to a friend's house or maybe you were bringing it to market. But the short of it was uh, a tax collector at any time could walk up to you and require you to pay tax on that load you were carrying. And if you did not pay it, it could mean jail time, et cetera. And the tax collectors leveraged this, and they would sometimes exploit people. And, and they did all types of things with the power they had. Luke 5 and 29. Now a little understanding. Let's read this first verse. Then Levi, an enemy of the people, gave Jesus a great, great feast in his own house. So he was a property owner. So the idea that all the early apostles were poor is not biblical. This man was a property owner. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Now we do not know who these others were, but we know they were bad actors because in the next verse, the only term used to describe them is the word sinners. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and who? Sinners. Now, Scripture is, 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 is very clear. It instructs us to have discretion in our personal relationships. But, but sometimes we take this a little bit too far because Jesus also teaches us we cannot reach people we avoid. We cannot reach people we won't spend time with. Now, you know, uh, folks that have counsel contrary to, to God, maybe they won't be my best, the best, the best of friends. But according to Scripture, I am to have some contact, some relationship. I've heard people say to me, Pastor, I want to quit my job. They're full of sinners. What do you mean? <laughs> we are the salt and the light. He puts you there because they're sinners. And what you need to do instead of being influenced by them, you go there and influence them. Amen. <laughs> Verse 31, Jesus answered them. His response here is profoundly simple, but simply profound. He uses a medical analogy that everybody would be quick to understand. Jesus is the master at taking complicated matters and making them real, real simple. And he, he poses a question. He said, those who are well. You see, the problem with the Pharisees is the problem with a lot of church folk. The problem was not that they were immoral. That, that was not the issue. On the contrary, these men were often highly moral people. They, they, they were people that outwardly, man, they, they, they dealt with the jot and the tittle of the law. The problem was not that they were outwardly immoral. The problem was that they were sick on the inside. And the challenge with, with many of us is we're so busy being moral, we miss our sickness. We're so busy trying to look good for everybody around us, we miss what's going down on, on the inside of us. And this is what happened with the Pharisees. Everyone applauded and, and lauded them and celebrated them. Man, you guys are disciplined. You do X, Y, and Z. Wow, you are righteous. 
But all the while, you know, that, that maybe they didn't sleep with a woman, but they went to bed sleep thinking about the woman until Jesus had to come and, and modify the law, actually add to the law. People say that it was harder under Moses. That's just not true. It's harder under the New Testament because in the Old Testament, you had to watch your behavior. In the New Testament, you got to check your heart. So these men may not have touched the woman, but Jesus said, listen, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. So the issue was not what they were doing on the outside, but what was going on on the inside. They were competitive. They were jealous. They were angry. And all of these things were just bubbling up on the inside, but they rested on their outward behavior. They rested on the righteousness that people said they held instead of what was going on in their heart. And you can do that in the church after a while. You could become such a good churchgoer that you could be sick on the outside and nobody know it, including yourself. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are what? Sick. A physician is expected to be with the broken and with the ill. And Jesus was basically saying, instead of criticizing me, you ought to be celebrating me. Because if you really cared for the brokenness of the people, you'd be doing the same. In fact, he was saying, listen, he said, he, he used the illustration of a physician. And what he's saying is, I'm on the job. While I'm sitting with these men, I am on my job. I am reaching people that other people say are too difficult to be reached. So you should be celebrating the fact that I care enough to serve these men and these women. Does that make sense to you? And then Jesus goes on and he continues to add and build upon uh, the things he said in, in, in 31. He said, guys, I have not come to call those who think they're righteous or I've not come to call the righteous. In other words, I didn't come for the folks that have everything together. I didn't come for the guy that thinks he's better than the next guy. Let me tell you who I came to. I came for people who recognize that they are sinners. People that recognize they're in need of repentance. You know, it's an absolute waste of time to try to help somebody that doesn't want your help. Amen. You know, you, you may want to help an alcoholic, but the reality is if the alcoholic doesn't realize he has a problem, there's nothing you can do. And that's why at times you got to let people hit bottom. You got to wait until they come to the realization that they have a need. And what's amazing is not only can we, you know, I can't help somebody that doesn't want help. The Bible seems to hint at God can't help people that don't want help. Why? Because in order to enter the kingdom, he says, repent and believe. Meaning you got to change your mind about your condition. You have to recognize your need. And only after that change of mind can you enter the kingdom. It's vital that we recognize our need on the inside. And stop spending so much time trying to make ourselves look so good on the outside. Luke 5 and 33, then they said to him, now I, I, I read the context here a little bit. This question is both a complaint and an inquiry. So why, Jesus, now you suppose, you're the new rabbi and, you know, the crowds are following you and you, you get a reputation and everything. Now, John's been around here a little longer than you know. Why do the disciples of John fast often? And likewise, the Pharisees who've been here since the Maccabean period. I mean, they fast every Monday and every, every Thursday, and they pray three times a day. And we see them on the synagogue and on the street corners praying. But yours, Jesus, your disciples, eat and drink. You see, 
The religious folks, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had the idea that you weren't spiritual unless you were uncomfortable. And because of that attitude, often, you know, when, when God blesses us, we resist it and, and all the way. No, no. The, the, the idea was, you know, unless it hurts, unless, you know, I'm not doing things I, I, I want to do and refraining from the things I want to do, I'm really not spiritual. But here's the deal. God did not just came to stop you from doing what you want to do. He came to change your want to. Did you catch that? A lot of us, we could not live a Christian life. You know why? Because we haven't been changed. If God changes your nature, it's a natural thing to live this Christian walk. It's a pressure for people on the outside. That's why I don't quickly impose my values on people on the culture. Now, I'll tell them what God's values are, but the reality is it will be oppressive for them to try to live like me because they haven't been changed on the inside. But change the people on the inside all of a sudden, they'll be comfortable with the things we're comfortable with. So the issue in our nation is not necessarily the change of laws, but the change of hearts. And if people would truly get born again, do you understand what I'm saying? There would be real change in the nation. A lot of folks, we need to change what's happening in the White House. No, we need to change what's happening in your house. We need to change what's happening in God's house. Please don't misunderstand me. We should influence government. We should vote and all those other things, but, but you need to, we need to be careful of, to put the cart before the horse and, and not get that mixed up. And Jesus said to them, he, he stopped, he's about to break it down here, he said, can you make friends of the bridegroom? This is important, fast. What he was saying, you can't make somebody who loves somebody who was happy about what they were experiencing in their life do what y'all are doing. That, that, that's, you'll see that in a moment. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, actually, in the ancient world, you would take your honeymoon at your house. You wouldn't go off. You would stay home, and, and people would come and visit you while you were actually celebrating your wife. And, and in the Old Testament, actually, you take off for a year. Man, imagine that love nest, you know, for a whole year <laughs> just to get acquainted with your bride. And when people would come, they'd be happy for you. There'd be that glow on, on the both of you. And, and, and you didn't fast uh, during that particular time. He said, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? What he's saying here is that the New Testament would be more like a wedding celebration than a funeral procession. And that's why we don't do the dark, the drab, and all that other stuff. Because, I, I, you know, listen, there are challenges and, and there are hardships, and, and we do have to endure them, the Bible says, like good soldiers. But the reality is, I love the Lord. The reality is, he's with me. The reality is, take everything I got, I still got him. The reality is, I can celebrate that God first loved me while I was a sinner, no matter what I do. You hear what I'm saying? He's committed to me. And these are the things we celebrate. Now, the, the challenge is, we're celebrating our cars and our houses. We're celebrating all this stuff, except the real stuff. That God first loved, God got me, take all my stuff, I will still be happy. Matter of fact, that's the message of the book. The apostles were beaten. Actually, they were in the middle prison. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a horrible night. And, and they, they were bent over, the, back, the blood was drying. You know, it itches when, man, it's just painful stuff. When you've been beaten and there are rats in there, these were not, you know, clean prisons. But the Bible says at midnight, what was happening? Silas and Paul were praising God. Why? Because their, their, their joy was not dependent on circumstances. 
It wasn't dependent on what was happening in their life, but as much as who was in their life. And we have to begin to simplify. Thank God for your ambition and, and please try to go somewhere and do something. But, but, you know, if it boils down, it's just me and God. I'm going to be okay. That's really, really important. Some people look at me, well, you're happy because you got all this. Listen, I didn't always have all this. <laughs> and you could take all this. I'm going to be all right as long as God is for me. Who can be against me? And, and we have to get back to simple faith in our God. Listen to the Message Bible. It says this, when you're celebrating your best friend's wedding, you don't skimp on the cake and the wine. It's not a time to go on a diet. You feast. Later, you may need to pull in your belt, but this isn't the time. And what Jesus is doing is shifting their perception of a relationship with God from a fast to a feast. And many of us, we're still trying to earn our salvation, denying ourselves, thinking we're going to get brownie points with God. The reality is Christ's work was finished on Calvary's cross. There's nothing I can do to add to it. Now, I do fast and I will fast to tap into what the Lord has done. And, and we'll talk about that in a moment when we re read the latter half of what Jesus says. But the reality is, if you really have a sure relationship with Christ, even in tough times, there's a joy, there's a feast, there's fellowship, there's richness that no one gave and no one can take away. Sometimes I look at our congregation and I say, Lord, am I doing a good job? Oh, I lost my job, so? First, God has another job. Secondly, you're not the first to lose a job. Thirdly, if God can get you to heaven, how is your job situation a problem for him? Scripture still says he will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Period. I knew that wouldn't go over well, but I'm helping somebody in this room. Verse 35, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. He's speaking of the crucifixion. Then they will fast in those days. You know, I tend to fast the most, those moments when God feels far away. And, you know, God is, is ever present, but sometimes I have so much going on in my life, in my head, and in my circumstance, it just gets too noisy. And it's not that God has moved, really, it's just that something's happened on the inside of me that he's not as apparent anymore. So what I, I've learned to do is humble myself and say, you know what, God, you are more important than the bread I eat and the, 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 the drink I drink. Lord, I'm going to put everything aside. I'm going to shut off the television. I'm going to shut off all distractions until I get back in touch with who you are. And the reality is, in our journey, there will be moments where God seems far away. Not that he is, but it will seem that way. And the fast is a way we, we can't change God. Don't ever, he doesn't change. He's immutable. He doesn't change. But we can change. And what happens is sometimes I lose focus. Sometimes I need to refocus. And in those moments, I, I fast and do these things. But I never do it to earn God's attention. I do it to check myself to step into what God has already provided. Does that make sense? Then he spoke a parable to him or to them. And here Jesus uses uh, two illustrations to uh, illustrate 
uh, the contrast between the old situation and the new situation of the kingdom of God. And, you know, a great way to ruin a new situation is keeping the attitude from the old situation. It, 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 it completely destroys things. No one. Now, Jesus could have said with any sense, he didn't say that, but, but this is the implication. No one with any sense puts a piece from a garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a what? Tear. An unshrunk piece of garment connected and attached to an already shrunken piece of garment. When water hits it, the heat from the wash and the dry hits it. it will, the, what will happen is the patch will shrink and it will begin to tear the old garment. In fact, we have on the screen uh, right there. Do you notice there that while the, the thread is, is, is being created, that there's tension, it's being pulled. And in order to, to create the thread of the garment from the cotton, it has to be twisted and it has to be some tension on it. And really what happens when uh, water hits a garment made of cotton, et cetera, it's not so much that it shrinks. What, happen, it, what happens is when the heat and the water hits the threads, they relax and go back to their original size and shape. So it's not that they're shrinking. It's just that when they were uh, put on that piece of fabric, they were stretched and, and they just relax and go back to natural size. So let, let's look again at, at the verse. Jesus says, no one with good sense. Now, some of us in this room don't qualify, but keep looking straight ahead and no one will know it's you. He says, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old. You see, Jesus did not come to repair your old life. And that, that's the problem. That's why many of you are frustrated. Because you wanted God to, to bless and to, to fix your old life. You didn't really want change. You just wanted him to improve the old. He didn't come to fix your old life. He came to give you a completely new life. And until you're radically saved, what I'm saying will make no sense to you. If you're just trying to, again, repair the old instead of stepping to the new, you will never really get this thing that Christ has called us to. You know, I have some advantage over folks in this room when I met the Lord, I was a business major. I was planning to go into business. I, I, had, uh, you know, I had lots of things set up for me. I actually was running a business in college. But when I got saved, God, see, I wanted God to just add to my old life. I wanted God to just bless me in the business field. He said, no, Derek, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to step into a new life. And, and I entered this thing with the understanding that, you know what, I'm going to have to let go of the old and step into the new. If I'm going to really walk with Jesus, what happens with, with other folks, though, is, 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 is you're, you know, 20 years into your walk, God says, you know, step into the new. And you're like, I never heard of anything like this. How is this happening? Oh, my God. But the reality is this is what he wanted all the time. He doesn't want to just bless you old way. He wants to give you a completely new way. God's not trying to fit in. He is trying to break you out of everything you have been into. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, 
And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. I want to speak for a moment into the lives of our singles. And I want to talk about being torn and mismatched. Torn and mismatched. Here's the text. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Why do you keep trying to patch what God wants to be replaced? Stay with me. Stay with me. You know the joke is a buster. You know it. But you insist on trying to fix it. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.